Amen. Well, a, a Tale of Two Cities is a historical fiction, if you will, uh, by Charles Dickens. Many of you have probably read that book published back in 1859. <clears throat> and if you don't remember much about the story, it's set in London and Paris before and during the French Revolution. And even if you've never read the book, I suspect uh, many of you are familiar with the opening sentence. It's a very famous opening sentence, and it's so long it would make even the Apostle Paul proud. Apostle Paul, of course, known for his very lengthy sentences. <clears throat> but let me read it for you. Maybe it'll bring back memories of when you read this back in um, school years ago. He begins, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief, it was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light, it was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope, it was the winter of despair. We had everything before us, we had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven, we were all going direct the other way. In short, the period was so far like the present period that some of its noisiest authorities insisted on its being received, for good or for evil, in the superlative degree of comparison only. Well, that opening line is packed with comparisons and deep reflection on the past and the present. Specifically, it's exploring the perspectives of two different cities, Paris and London, on both past and current societal affairs. This morning, I want to borrow the opening two phrases from that famous lengthy sentence by Dickens, flip them around, and use them as a title for this message. It was the worst of times. It was the best of times. And that adaptation of Dickens' opening line really is a good summary of the psalmist's perspective in Psalm 124. In this short psalm that comprises just eight verses in our English Bible, it's one stanza in the original Hebrew, the writer looks back on Israel's history to contemplate how the hand of God has been with the Jewish people in good times and bad times. Life without God, the writer says, constitutes the worst of times, and life with God could not be any better. It's the best of times. What I love about this short psalm, Psalm 124, is its timeless nature, which is kind of ironic because it's about the worst of times and the best of times, but it really could have been written today because every generation has the worst of times and the best of times. Today, our post-Christian age is marked by a number of negative trends. Things like shunning the routine, or the death of outrage, or the death of common sense. Things like, as one writer years ago predicted and wrote, uh, things like amusing ourselves to death. Uh, shock value is more important than substance and content. Expect the unexpected is the mantra of the day. New truths, little t's and worldviews seem to pop up every day. We've lost any sense of the importance of traditions and heritage. In fact, history is being erased rapidly in profound Orwellian fashion, if you remember the book 1984. Family traditions and 
consistent routines are long gone. And I think the most dangerous consequence of this trend in our day is that we lose sight of the firm anchors on which our lives have been built and should be built. You know, if life revolves around the unexpected, as they say, then proven principles and time-tested traditions are eliminated. They're canceled, to use our common phrase today. Rubbed out. And, and we're left to flounder with each new day and all the troubles it may bring with only the shallow weapons of the moment. The axiom, expect the unexpected, is really the battle cry of our day. It's truly the worst of times in many, many ways. And yet, it's also the best of times as we see the hand of God everywhere and especially when we evaluate our world through the lens of Bible prophecy which is what we've been doing in our 9 o'clock hour on Sunday mornings. And so you can't help but get excited when you see the stage being set for the fulfillment of God's plan of the ages. But how can we see the good in the midst of all of this bad? How can we have a positive outlook when there's so much wrong in this old world? Well, I think we should hearken back to a tradition that is thousands of years old and borrowed from the Jewish people. And that is an intentional recitation or remembrance of days gone by for the purpose of thanking God for His hand in our journey. When's the last time you sat around a table and you rehearsed God's evidence, God's plan, God's intervention in your journey with your family? Have you stopped to think about it? Psalm 124 is what we call a song of ascent. The songs of ascent are 15 psalms in the collection of psalms that we have in God's Word, chapters 120 to chapter 134. And in the original Hebrew, they each bear the title Song of Ascents. And these were songs that were sung by Jewish worshipers as they traveled from their homes all over the land and went up in terms of uh, uh, height, elevation, that's why they're called songs of ascents, went up to Jerusalem to celebrate the three great feasts each year, Passover in the spring, Pe Pentecost in the early summer, and then Tabernacles in the fall. Of these 15 psalms, David composed uh, at least four of them, uh, 122, 124, which is our text this morning, 131 and 133, Solomon wrote Psalm 127, but the other 10 of the 15 Song of Ascents are anonymous. So when we come to Psalm 124, we find this first song, if you will, uh, this short song first divided into two parts. David initially contemplates Israel's difficult times in the past. He contemplates how because of God's intervention, they didn't turn into as bad as they could have been. He shows how no matter how bad things are, things can always be worse. And then he praises God for the good things in life and acknowledging that he was living in the best of times from his perspective because the Lord was on his side. I love that song that we sang. It's, it's 
it, it's just ingrains in our mind the truth of this psalm that we're now going to be talking about for a few moments. So, so when's the last time you identified and then reflected back on the presence of God in, in your journey? When's the last time you got your son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter and talked about the good old days, you know? Uh, or when's the last time you gave them the opportunity to sort of ask questions, you know? What was it like when? How did you handle such and such? That's one way that we can really learn and grow and see God's hand of blessing and providence in life. You know, a few weeks ago, we talked about another Davidic psalm, Psalm 37, and about how life is just coming at us so fast. And we have this, this uh, tyranny of the now, I think we called it. And, um, and so sometimes life comes at us so fast, we really don't recognize or maybe only for a fleeting moment what might have been had it not been uh, for God we need to rehearse and review our personal and family history for one thing the older I get and I'm sure some of you can uh, experience have experienced this the more forgetful we are it's hard to remember those times and I've I've started feeling the urge when I'm just driving along or just sitting around thinking in some memory pops into my mind of my childhood, I feel like I should write it down because I don't know if I'll ever capture that memory again, you know. Um, but we need to take time to contemplate where we've been and where we're going rather than just jumping on the fast-paced, fast-moving train of life that will take us where it wills without consulting us along the way. It can be very therapeutic to contemplate the hand of God in the journey of life because it reminds us that someone greater than ourselves, greater than the worst of times, is in control. So let's, let's take a look at, at this short psalm and see how David sees the hand of God in the life of Israel. The first five verses, again, it's all one stanza in Hebrew, just a short chorus, kind of like He is Lord that we just sang a few moments ago. But as you look at the, the way it's worded, I think we can break it up into the worst of times without God first. He thinks about how things might have been. He starts out with a rhetorical question, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, and he repeats it for emphasis, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us. David reminds the Israelites to look back on what might have been so that they can face the present and even the future with more confidence. And of course, David's trust was squarely in the Lord. So many of his psalms, remember he wrote half of the 150 psalms in the Bible, and at least, and so many of them talk about his steadfast faith. Sometimes it starts out with him honestly expressing his wavering faith, but more often than not he lands in a place of steadfast faith. We tend to dwell on the negative experiences of the past, don't we? You know, victories and so forth are kind of fleeting, right? But the, the failures, the difficulties, the, the trials, the tragedies, they really sting. And they just sort of take up residence and, and never leave, it seems like. 
And so that's one of the reasons why I think it's, it's helpful and why the children of Israel had this oral tradition of passing down God's hand of blessing. Um, they had more than enough negative experiences. I mean, you think about being slaves in Egypt. You think about being taken captive by the Assyrians when Samaria fell, the capital, capital of the northern kingdom of Israel, then being kept, swept away into Babylon when Jerusalem fell in 586 B.C., and then you've got the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans. It was just one uh, uh, per, uh, persecution after another. And uh, so they certainly could, could have dwelt on that. But you know what? They made it a point to reflect on the victories, like the Exodus, the Passover, those types of incredible victories throughout their past. How often do we take the time to dwell on God's protection, his provision, his deliverance. Uh, psalm 56 is another Davidic psalm. And the title of this psalm tells us that David wrote this when he was being attacked by the Philistines. And in the midst of that attack, he writes, Be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day. For there are many who fight against me, O Most High. But listen to what he says next. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, and then he adds this parenthesis. It's almost like David pauses mid-sentence with this ecstatic utterance of praise when he thinks about God's protection. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh, mankind, man, do to me? When's the last time you were so overcome with the reality of God's presence and protection in your life that you just instinctively, almost involuntarily, cried out, I praise you, O God. We often forget that this present world, as bad as it is, is only one part of a larger set of circumstances. And were it not for the Lord's grace and protection, things may be a lot worse. Things can always be worse. The worst of times only applies to a time without God. If you go back to the text, remember he said, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, and then he goes on, they would have swallowed us alive. When their wrath was kindled against us, then the waters would have overwhelmed us. The stream would have gone over our soul. Then the swollen waters would have gone over our soul. Four times in these three verses, verses 3 through 5 that you see on the screen, David uses a subjunctive perfect verb. Well, what's the significance of that? In English, we translate subjunctive in this, in this way, would have, using the, the tense would have, would have, would have. In the, in the Hebrew, the perfect tense is used to indicate a completed or perfected, that's where we get the word perfect tense, action. And so David is saying, if it had not been for the Lord, we would have been swallowed up by our pagan enemies and assimilated into their culture, but we weren't. He protected us. It was we can look back and we can see the outcome. It's completed. We would have been overwhelmed by their anger. 
the evil devices of our enemies would have swept over us like a flood. He says that one twice there. The last two verbs, it's actually the same verb in Hebrew, would have gone over, would have gone over. David reminded the people that God had been on their side in the battles that might have otherwise resulted in their extinction. But God had a plan. And if he had not been on their side, they would have perished. He, he, he used several graphic images to picture the total annihilation of the chosen people, to be swallowed alive, to be overwhelmed completely, to be swept away like a flood. Israel's enemies had attacked her viciously through the ages and many, many times. And by the way, Israel is always a target of attack. And we, we are studying through the book of Revelation and the end times right now at our 9 o'clock Bible study. Uh, and we, if you read the book of Revelation, you find out that at the high point of that seven-year period, the future seven-year reign of terror by the Antichrist, He's going to pull out all the stops to attack Israel, hunting down Jews and killing them and doing everything he can to destroy the nation of Israel. Satan's been trying to do that from the beginning. Uh, we've seen several attempts to do that. Um, we saw that back in the days of Moses when, they were, when he tried to kill all the Jewish babies. We saw that in the days of Herod in the time of Christ's birth when he, Herod tried to kill all the newborn babies, hoping to kill the Messiah, the Christ child and many other occasions. But you might call this the would-have principle. You know, we would have been annihilated if God had not been on our side. Sometimes when it appears as though the Lord might be causing us to walk through a deep, dark valley, it might be rather than simply testing us. You know, that's what our mind typically goes to. Oh, the Lord's just testing me, you know. Sure, it would be easier to go this route, but boy, he's making me go this way. You know, he must be testing us. And, and we've talked about the testing and trying of our faith, and that certainly is part of uh, the spiritual growth process. But have you ever stopped to consider that maybe God's not testing you? Maybe he's protecting you. I mean, the mountaintop route might appear easier and more logical, but God might know that it's fraught with all kinds of dangers and enemies waiting to swallow you up. Whatever current crisis you might be facing, maybe it's God's way of protecting you from potentially worse problems if the Lord had not been on your side. It might be God's way of redirecting your life and helping you avoid dangers and experience a whole new set of blessings. You know, having that perspective really changes the way you view history. And that's why it's important to kind of rehearse it. Even as I was reading this psalm this week and kind of thinking back through some experiences I had, I, I, had, I found myself wondering, you know, maybe that wasn't just a trial or a test. Maybe God was protecting. I, I remember one time I was speaking at a fundraising banquet in Atlanta for a school. And, uh, and, and, I, and I had, that was on a Friday night, and I also had a conference that began that same Friday night, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in Gatlinburg. And this church that I was speaking at the fundraiser at was in northern Atlanta, and I would made arrangements with the other conference that I would be arriving late, and I would miss some of the initial uh, things, but I would, I would be there, and, and my time to, to speak wasn't until the next morning on Saturday morning, so all was going to be 
well. And uh, if you know that region of the country and the Smoky Mountain Range, you can go north from Atlanta up through the Smoky Mountains and come in the back way to Gatlinburg. And so that's what I did, finished up um, where I was uh, speaking. And if I remember right, and my memory often fails me, but I think my family was meeting me in, in Gatlinburg and they were coming from Chattanooga or somewhere that somewhere west. But anyway, so I finished up, packed up, and started the, the evening drive up to through Gatlinburg, got within 15 miles of Gatlinburg and, and the hotel where the conference was, and the road was closed because of a mudslide. Now, there's no way around it. The only way is to go all the way back to Atlanta, circle back all the way around, come up to I-75, I think, or anyway, 40, maybe it's 40, whatever that east-west interstate is, and come in from the west. And it d delayed me about three hours, and I didn't get there in time for the evening dinner banquet there at that kickoff for that conference. And I was so frustrated, and all I could do in trying to spiritually interpret it was think, well, the Lord just was testing me. But who knows? Maybe, maybe in God's sovereignty, he knew that uh, two miles past where I had gotten turned around because of the roadblock, a deer was going to jump out in front of my car. And that would be the end of, you know, end of J.B. Hickson, you know. You know, we, we see this. It played out in Scripture many, many times. I love the way Joseph put it. If you remember the great story of Joseph, which constitutes the better part of the last part of Genesis, I think it's like chapters 38 to 50 is all about Joseph. I think that's right, but anyway, the last part of it. Uh, and you get to chapter 50, the end of the book of Genesis, and you remember Joseph's brothers who had, they had done all kinds of horrible things to him. You know, they'd sold him into slavery and uh, so forth. But God showed favor on Joseph, and in spite of his hardships, he wound up in a place of authority. And, uh, and ultimately, there's a famine in the land, and Joseph's brothers are, have no choice. They don't have any food, and they have to kind of humble themselves and go to Joseph. And they're just sure that Joseph is going to you know, say, off with your heads, you know, get his chance to get revenge. And, of course, he doesn't. And listen to the way Joseph describes all that had happened in terms of the, the ill-fated things his brothers had done for, for Joseph. He says, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? I mean, what a great perspective. Right? God knew what he was doing. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. As I look back over the difficult times in my life, I can see the would-have principle playing out again and again. I can see how, in, sometimes it takes years, but in retrospect, why something that at the time seemed impossible to explain or understand, God used to direct my life and my family's life and lead me to a certain point. Can you see that? Have you taken the time to kind of look back over some of the worst of times in your life and realize they really weren't the worst of times because God was right there with you? Think about it. Whatever your pain, whatever your crisis, whatever your trial, if the Lord had not been on your side, how would things have turned out? And then in the last three verses, we see 
David reflecting on the best of times with God. As bad as times gone by had been for Israel, they could have been a lot worse if God had not been with them. And now David contemplates God's role in the present circumstance for Israel. He reminds us that we are in God's hands now as well as then. And ultimately, that, that I think is the real benefit of taking the time to reflect on God's hand in your journey. Because we live in the now, and we have to walk by faith and not by sight, as the New Testament tells us in 2 Corinthians 5-7. We've got to be able to trust the Lord, uh, to walk you know, in the Spirit and not after the flesh. And one way that can help bolster our faith and help us to keep that perspective is by reflecting on the number of times in the past when God has been there, and if it were not for the Lord, things might have been much, much worse. So David says in verse 6, Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. David knew very well whose hands God's people were in. He knew that they may be wounded at times, but they were never defeated from a spiritual or eternal perspective. And the failure of their enemies to ultimately defeat them was owing solely to God's divine protection in their life. God could have given Israel over to her enemies many, many times, but he has not, David says, because they were in God's hands. And we're in God's hands. Just as the past can be instructive, so too can the proper perspective on the present. For example, you might say something like, I may have a flat tire, but because I'm in God's hands, it has not caused me to be injured in a wreck. Right? Or, I may have lost my job, but because I'm in God's hands, it has not caused me to starve to death. Or, I may have problems, but because I'm in God's hands, it has not utterly defeated me. Again, things can always be worse. and We don't have the mind of God, and we're not entitled to understand everything that's going on in this world or even in our own lives. But we are obligated to trust God and really that's the only option we have is to trust God because I can assure you if we try to figure it all out on our own and rely on our own wisdom and understanding it's going to be a depressing journey but blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth it reminds me of Job who better to look to as an example of someone who had the right perspective in spite of the counselors that were his friends that were uh, trying to tell him otherwise when he said though he slay me yet will I trust him even so I will defend my own ways before him in other words Job was having honest conversations with his friends about God and even with God directly but in the end he continued to trust him Psalm 91 is an anonymous psalm that is is just uh, beautiful it describes God himself as the one who is the believer's security, talking about Israel, but ultimately all believers. He described, the unknown psalmist here described God as the most high sovereign ruler and the almighty, the one with all power. That's what almighty means. And those who rely on him find that he is a shelter from the storms of life and a, and a shadowy place of security, much like the area under a bird's wing protecting her chicks. God is a refuge where we can run for safety in times of danger and a fortress that will provide defense against attacking foes. I want to read for you this 
psalm and just listen to the expression of it. We don't know who wrote this, but it is a steadfast recognition of God's presence in the now. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has shown because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. That's the attitude that we see David reflecting on here as he thinks about God's presence, God the deliverer, God the protector. Our soul, going back to the text here, our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. So again, David is just reiterating the source of his help. And as we've talked about several times uh, over uh, the last year and a half, in the Hebrew culture, one's name represented one's character. The Hebrew name was more than just a label. It identified the core essence of the person. And the personal name for God in the Hebrew language is Yahweh. And it's always indicated in a good English translation anyway, in all caps. So when you see Lord there in all capitals, L-O-R-D, that's a reference to Yahweh. And it's as if David is saying his name says it all. He is the maker of heaven and earth. He is the I am. And whenever the Hebrew children wanted to testify to God's goodness and watch care, they always added a qualifier to his name, forming a compound name. And we talked about these back toward the beginning of our look at the Psalms. I think it was when we were in Psalm 20. But there are several compound names like Jehovah Raha from Rock from Psalm 23, the David's famous The Lord is Our Shepherd Psalm. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, or Jehovah Jireh from Genesis 22 and the story of Abraham and, and Isaac, the God who provides for us when uh, God provided the ram in the thicket, if you remember that story, or Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. This is the name that was given to God when the bitter waters of Marah uh, were made sweet for the children of Israel, and they crossed the Red Sea and traveled for three days in the desert without water, or Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. This was Used by Jeremiah the prophet who prophesied of a righteous branch that would ultimately come and reign 
in Israel. Or Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner, in honor of God's defeat of the Amalekites in Exodus 17. Or Jehovah Shalom. Even Most people know what Shalom is, even if you've never studied Hebrew. Peace, the Lord our peace. This was the name Gideon gave the altar where he uh, built there in uh, Ophrah after the angel of the Lord appeared to him and God commissioned him to lead that famous battle against the Midianites. Or Jehovah M. Kadesh. This is the Lord, our sanctifier. He sets us apart. Uh, Exodus 31. Or Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. I love this one from Ezekiel at the end of that great section in chapters 40 to 48 where he refers to the city that ultimately will house the temple that ultimately will see the reign of our Messiah, Jesus Christ, when he comes back. The Lord is there. The Lord is there. Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, a military term. This is used in the days of David and the prophets, witnessing to God the Savior who is surrounded by a host of heavenly angels in the heavenly realm, bringing defense and protection. So David says, Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowler. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. You know, another natural tendency that we have when we look at the worst of times around us is to forget who we're dealing with here, to forget who is in charge. Uh, this is God, the maker of heaven and earth. And if God, the maker of heaven and earth, is on our side, then who can be against us, right? Paul kind of said that very thing, didn't he, in Romans 8? What shall we say then to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? So when you find yourself discouraged as a believer, ask yourself these questions. Who made the heaven and the earth? Who made the sun rise this morning? Who made the oceans roar or the birds sing or the breezes blow? Who made the rainfall? Who made the seasons change? I assume the seasons are going to change at some point. We're going to get to winter here in Colorado. Who made the trees grow? Who made the stars shine? Is it not God? The same God who rescued you from the penalty of sin when he sent his son, the Lamb of God, to take your penalty, shed his blood, rise from the dead and give you the free gift of eternal life? That same God. That same God who, who did that is the same God who made heaven and earth. And any time with God is the best of times. It's the best of times. So at a time in history when we see history being erased very rapidly in Orwellian fashion, as I said, and we, we see family traditions and family routines disappearing, we need to remember the worst of times and the best of times. We need to rehearse the history of God's hand, God's presence in our personal journeys. And so the takeaway is, is very simple. Ask yourself, if it had not been the Lord who was on your side, where would you be? Where would you be? I'm not minimizing the fact that people sitting in this room and live streaming are, are, are in some pretty tough places right now. These are unprecedented times we're all facing suffering i get it 
But if the Lord had not been on your side, where would you be? Could you imagine facing the tyranny and all that's going on around us as an unbeliever? Not having the refuge of God's Word and the privilege of prayer? Could you imagine facing these times if the Lord was not on your side? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your, your word. We thank you for the encouragement that it always is as it cuts like a two-edged sword, pierces our hearts, and really encourages us. And Lord, we pray that as we continue to navigate these uh, troubling times, that Lord, you would help us to see your presence. And uh, Father, help us to acknowledge and remember even long-forgotten episodes and times when you intervened and were so faithful as you always are. You are God alone, and help us to remember that. And Lord, we pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that in simple faith they would trust in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died and rose again for our sins, and is the only one who can forgive sin and give the gift of eternal life. And by trusting in Him and Him alone, we can be forgiven and become a child of God. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.